Today, today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, 2023 has turned out to be a pretty big year for us uh, as a people and as a planet. And uh, I'm not necessarily just speaking about what's happening in the Middle East right now. I actually, we, we crossed a very important mile marker this past summer as a planet and as, uh, as a people. At some point over this last summer, the, the population of planet Earth reached 8 billion people. It's incredible to think about there's 8 billion people on the planet. Now, just for context here, uh, it, it took humanity all the way until 1804 to reach 1 billion people. And over the last roughly 200 years, we've grown eight times that. To, to put this in context, for the last 200 years, roughly speaking, we've had a net addition of 100,000 people per day added to the planet. A net addition of 100,000 people per day for the last 200 years. That is phenomenal growth as a people. It's unbelievably rapid. And as we looked at 100,000 people being added roughly every single day for the last 200 years, we have to be confronted with something. That our ability to keep on pace with the Great Commission is getting harder. Our goal is getting bigger. Our job is getting more serious by the day. Now, some of you may be like, well, what's the Great Commission? It's a great question. Let's clarify here. The Great Commission is essentially the mission statement that Jesus Christ gave the church. And this is recorded in all the Gospels and even in Acts. So here's what the Great Commission is. This is how Matthew records it. And Jesus came and said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's how Matthew records Jesus saying it. Mark records Jesus elsewhere saying this. Go into all the world and, say it with me, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's how Mark records it. Look what Luke says. This is how Luke records it. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be, say it with me, proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. We'll come back to that in a second. John has a form of the Great Commission recorded like this. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Meaning how, how Christ came into this world with the message of gospel peace. That's our message that he's now sending us into the world to give. And even the book of Acts records the Great Commission. Now, the book of Acts is the, the, the recording of the launch and the start of the church. And right before Christ returns to heaven, he's gathered with his disciples, and he says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so in every instance that we have of the Bible recording the Great Commission, there's two essential components. Number one, we are to go into all the world to proclaim, and then secondly, to proclaim the gospel. 
And of the 8 billion people that are now on the planet, 3 billion of them have never even heard the name Jesus, let alone the gospel message that he saves us from our sin. Saves us from our sins. And of all the global missionaries that are sent across the planet, only 0.37% go to those people groups that have never heard the gospel. Now listen to me. Supporting, financially giving to global missions is, I dare say, an attractive thing for Christians. The reality is, is that we feel a lot better giving to global missions than we do to, let's say, paying the church's heat bill, even though we all want the heat bill to be paid come January. Many Christians jump at the chance to to financially support the gospel-sharing efforts across the globe, but listen to me, very few Christians will share the gospel with their own neighbor. What's very interesting about the, the Jesus when he gives the Great Commission is he calls us to start where we are. Again, what he recounts in, in, uh, in Luke, Jesus says, the repentance for the forgiveness of sh- sins should be proclaimed in his name, speaking of himself, in all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now, why beginning in Jerusalem? Is, is it because Jerusalem is so much more special than everyone else, everywhere else? No. No, the reason that Jesus specifies beginning from Jerusalem is because that's where they were. We are to share the Great Commission, but it starts with you where you are. Beginning in Jerusalem, and it goes across the world. Begins where you are, and then you go across the street, and then down the street, and then to the next state, and so on. I dare say that Jesus doesn't want us to send money across the globe to feel good about ourselves so that, so that we can share the gospel over there if we're not willing to go across the street and share the gospel. As we continue this Proclaim campaign, I'll tell you now, this is about seeing our church get stronger so that we can continue to do the work to reach our communities, but it doesn't stop there. Yes, we want to reach our community, but we want to continue to reach the entire world. Proclaim this campaign. Hear me on this. This is about fulfilling the Great Commission because the Great Commission starts where you are. Proclaim is about fulfilling the Great Commission. And so if you've been with us for this campaign, you know that we've been walking through Colossians chapter 1. And so would you go ahead and turn there now in your Bibles. Colossians chapter 1, that's on page 1251 if you want to use the Bibles we've provided. Now we're going to look at verses 15 to 23 today. And if you haven't been with us, just quick context. Paul's writing this letter from prison to a church in a town called Colossae. Now he's writing in essence, to talk about how amazing Jesus is, how awesome it is what he's done for us, and how we as Christians are to rightly live in response to the gospel message. And so, with that, would you hear the word of God? Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 15 to 23. And so would you hear God's word? He, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's word. Let's pray and we'll continue. Let's pray. Father God, as we continue through this proclaimed journey, Lord, we do pray that you will unite this church, that by this campaign you will make us stronger and more effective for the ministry before us. Father, light our path. Call us to deeper levels of reliance on you. And would you please send your Holy Spirit to be with us, to be with us now as we look at your word. And Lord, we do pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. So hopefully you have your devotional packets with you. And if you do, here's your uh, fill-in, your first fill-in for today. It's the title of today's message, which is simply Proclaim for the King of Creation. Proclaim for the King of Creation. Now, I'm going to tell you, like, for this sermon series, we had to do a lot of work ahead of time. And one of the things that we did was we sketched out the sermons way ahead of time. In fact, we did this way uh, over this past summer. We started sketching out the outlines to these messages, not really knowing what the world would be like this fall when it actually happens. And the main point for today's message, while we prayed and discerned the main point for today's message at some point in, in May or June, God's timing is always so perfect. Here's today's main point. It is embarrassingly simple, but so incredibly precise. And it's simply this. The world needs Jesus. We had no idea that we'd done, in in many ways, we'd be on the brink of World War III when this sermon was preached. When we came up with the idea that the world needs Jesus, I was like, yeah, yeah, the world needs Jesus. But I'm telling you right now, I hold these words in much greater weight right now than I did in June. Israel needs Jesus. Palestine needs Jesus. The Gaza Strip needs Jesus. The Middle East needs Jesus. I'm here to tell you, the world needs Jesus. The Great Commission is the great call. And it's the only hope for the world is the gospel. And Christians, we have a job to do, and this is part of the ways that we are responding to this call is through this proclaimed campaign. And so as we walk through this passage together, here's your three-point outline. First point is that we proclaim because Christ is overall. Secondly, we proclaim because of what he's done. And thirdly, we proclaim because we have hope to share. So let's look at this first one. We proclaim because Christ is overall. So let's look at these two absolutely monumental verses. Look at verses 15 and 16 real quickly. It says this. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and, invis- visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. Can you imagine a more robust statement being said about anyone 
Like, no, clarify, because there's some important phrases here that if you take the wrong way, it's going to lead you to some dark places. Now, when it says that he is the image of the invisible God, this does not mean that he's a replica. It means that the invisible God was made physically present with us in Christ, that Christ is truly God. He is God the Son, who was from all eternity, and he stepped into the creation that he created when he was born, that baby boy, at Christmas. We'll be celebrating Christmas soon, but don't worry, we won't play the Christmas music just yet. It's coming though. And when God the Son was born on that Christmas day some 2,000 years ago, he was forever given the name Jesus. Now, when it says that he is the firstborn of all creation, that's not, that's not, that's not stating that Jesus himself was created. God the Son is from all eternity, and God the Son took on human nature, took on a human form when he was born Jesus Christ on that Christmas. But God the Son has existed, existed from all eternity. This statement, he is the firstborn of all creation, is a simple statement of his primacy, his place as the head of all things. And this is nothing short, this is nothing short of good news. Why? Because Christ is good. Because he's a good king. And the more people come to submit to Christ, the more people that would come to sit under his rule and reign, the sooner we'll have peace on earth. And this next verse here, this next verse, Colossians 1.17, is a very special verse to my wife and I. Now, uh, when my wife and I uh, got engaged and we were going through premarital counseling, the pastor who did our wedding, he asked us to come up with a verse or a passage that we would use as kind of like the bedrock of our marriage. So my wife and I, we scanned the scriptures and we decided on Colossians 1.17. Come to our house and you'll find that verse hanging on our wall. It's very special to us. Colossians 1.17 says this. It says, He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's the verse we wanted to unite our marriage. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we knew that love as a feeling comes and goes and all God's people said amen. amen. Love as a feeling comes and goes. But if Christ is truly above all, if he's above us, meaning if we submit to him and come under his rule and reign in authority and direction, and if our marriage is found in him, then he will not just unite us together, he will hold us together. And my wife and I knew that with Jesus at the center, we could make it through. During our engagement, uh, we were thrown a wedding shower for us to go to. Um, yeah, I love me some wedding showers. That was a lot of fun, let me tell you. I, I, I was very thankful for it. Uh, but, but we were at this wedding shower, and we, we shared with the group that we had, chose, we had chosen Colossians 1.17 as our, as our verse, and we read what the verse said. And I remember one person responded in a, a slightly depressed, slightly confused, and even somewhat snarky response. They said, Oh, but it doesn't say anything about love. And it was a stark reminder to me that when it comes to marriage, our world cares more about love than about Christ. And I'm telling you now, not, not God's love. This fickle, worldly love that's selfish and all about feelings, rather than the eternal love of God, which is selfless and sacrificial. I'm here to tell you, if more marriages were built on the truth of Jesus rather than the emotion of love, we wouldn't see the divorce rates that we do. 
And that's not to shame those who have gone through biblical sanctioned divorces. That's just to state a fact that our, our world cares more about the feels than the truth. If we cared more about the truth, we'd have more satisfying, longer-lasting marriages. People need to know that Jesus isn't just over your life. He's over your marriage. Why? Because he is over all. He sits as king and creator. And we proclaim because of who he is, but we also proclaim because of what he's done. Let's look at this. Look at verses 18 and 20. It says, and he is the head of the body. What's the body? The church. The church is the body of Christ. And it goes on to say, he is the beginning, the, first, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is a profoundly thick, beautiful gospel verse, gospel passage. But here it is. It's such an important truth. Hear me on this, church. Whether you're gathered here in one of the venues or those of you who are gathered online, this is such an important truth. The church is the body of Christ, and Jesus is our head. Let's think about what that means. It means that we are connected to him. Yes, we know that. But did you catch? It also means that we are connected to each other. We are one, interconnected with Christ as our head. And I'm telling you right now, I think if more people realized that, we'd have much stronger attendance patterns than we do in today's American church. People have forgotten this. As a church, we are connected, connected to our king who's our head, Christ. And it goes on to say, now let's follow this. I want to do some Bible study here because these are some powerful passages, powerful phrases. We got to understand them properly. It goes on to say, he is the beginning. Again, this is to highlight that Jesus is not on equal footing with anyone. It means that he's the ruler. He rules. It means that he's the head of the line doesn't mean that he had a beginning. It's just that he is the beginning. He's existed from all eternity. He's primacy. He's, he's first. When you look at the vastness of the stars, when you look at the wonder of nature, when you look at the beauty of creation, Christians, we stand and we take it in and we say, Jesus is over all of this. And praise be to him. But let's do a Bible study here. Go back to verse 15. It says something interesting here. Verse 15 says, he's the firstborn of all creation. And then a couple verses later, verse 18, it says, he's the firstborn from the dead. Okay, now what's going on here? Now, first, he's, he is the firstborn of creation. Not that, not that he had a beginning, but that this is talking about his, his headship. Now, when it talks about him being born from the dead, born from the dead, meaning raised to life after he died, meaning on the one hand, Christ is the beginning of life, and he's also the guarantee of our life or our birth after death. This is a profound and also a poetic way to say exactly what verse 18 says. Go to verse 18. It says this at the end. It says that in everything, he might be preeminent. When's the last time you used the word preeminent? You haven't. I know you don't. I don't either. You know what? Don't feel bad about that. You want to know why? Because this word here in the original, in the original language, pertuo, this is the only time we see this word in all of Scripture. You, you very rarely use it. The Bible very rarely uses it. Why? Because it's a, such a special and profound word that we only use it for the right 
circumstances, like when we talk about the fact that Jesus is our king, that he's over all. Now it goes on to say in verse 19, it says, from him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All right, let's hang on this one for a second here. The fullness of God. All right, so what this means is that whatever God is made of, that, that fullness, that's what Jesus is made of. Like the, the fullness of God, I'll go ahead and just use the word stuff. Like whatever the stuff is that makes up God, that makes up Christ as well. Now we have a term for that. We, we'll say the word essence. The essence of the Father is, what, is, is the same essence that Jesus has. Not that they're the same. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have a Trinitarian God. But this is why we say there's one God, because there's one God essence in the three persons of the Trinity. Now, we don't have a better word than person, so we just use that to talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to tell you right now, we, we approach that doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity, with the utmost humility and a profound sense of mystery. We are three-dimensional carnal beings trying to understand an 11th dimension eternal being. There is no way we're going to fully wrap our heads around that. We just approach Scripture and learn from what Scripture tells us about God, who is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So this is what we're talking about. The fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Christ. And this God is not a God who just sits in heaven with his popcorn watching the world unfold. He's going to do something about it. Jesus Christ did something about our predicament. Look at verse 20. It says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we proclaim of, for what he's done. And what has he done? He's died on the cross for our sins. That our king gave up his life to the torment of the cross in our place, thereby satisfying true and eternal justice. Jesus was on the cross paying the punishment, not for his own sins. He had none. He paid the penalty for our sins. Your sins are a crime against God. And crime needs to be held to account and needs to be punished. And your sins, of which you need to be held to account and which you need to be punished for, Jesus took that for you on the cross so that you can be reconciled to God. What does reconciled mean? I'll give you a simple definition. Reconciled just means the restoration of a relationship. See, sin has ruined our relationship with God. It's caused friction and separation between us and God. And Jesus dying on the cross, he has removed our sin so that we can have access to God again. We can be reconciled. We can have a restored relationship with God. And this gives us peace. And we call this the gospel. And this is what we proclaim. This is, this is the hope that we have to share. Paul then clarifies the power of what Christ has done. And he encourages us to stay the course. Look at verses 21, 22, and 23. Keep your Bibles open. Let's look at it. He says, talking about, he's talking to the Colossians, but the Holy Spirit's talking to us. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, reconciled us, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, when Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins, he took away our sins, but we also get his righteousness. We get his holiness. We have no, now no longer any blame or guilt. We are free from that. 
But listen here. This doesn't mean you just get to go back to your own way of life and continue in your sin. If you've truly repented and placed your faith in Jesus and he's made you new, this starts a new life. Like this is a new trajectory. This is a new walk for you. This is why Paul goes on to say, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul is reminding them of who they were and he's reminding them of who they are now in Christ, that we are made new. This is part of the hope that we share, that us, sinners, spitting in the face of God as we sin, that while this was happening, Christ died for us. We were the ones nailing to the cross. We were the ones spitting in his face. And out of his great abundant love for us, he still died for us. I'm telling you now, this is why I follow him and no one else. Jesus died in the place for our sin, made us new, made us a new creation. And we need to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope. We need to stand and stand strong. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the truth that we are to share. And this is the mission that Jesus, our King, gave us to go into the world and proclaim this gospel. It starts where you are. Starts with you. If you called on the name of Jesus and you believe in what he's done for you, I'm telling you, it starts with you, not me. I got my own mission to start. It starts with you where you are. And as a church, we're doing this together. I'm telling you, proclaim is about building the ministry of what we have here. Yes, we get to build a new building and it gets some more space, which we desperately need. But it's about making our church stronger so that we can continue to fulfill the Great Commission that it starts where we are and continues elsewhere. And we're not going to wait for a new building. We want that. We're going to get that by God's grace. But we're going to continue to go. And one of the places we've already gone to is a neighboring community called Wayland. We planted a church in Wayland. It's going amazing. In fact, I want to give you an update on it. Peace Church. Hey, here we are in Wayland. I'm here with Pastor Aaron Lewis. Hey, Peace Church family. Hey, we want to give you an update. What's going on with our new Wayland plant? Awesome things are happening. So Pastor Aaron's going to give us a tour. We'll find out what's going on here. Absolutely. Come on in. This is a pretty awesome place, just the way it looks. Yeah. Uh, clearly, it's not set up for church right now, but right. give us a tour of what it's like for someone attending the Peace Church Wayland campus. They park outside, right, and they, then they come in, and how's it go? What's the flow like? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have two main points of entry, so the door we just came in is one of them, and then over here on the back side, and so we've placed our, our guest services spot right here in the middle of everything. So it's the very first thing people see when they, they walk in and where we do coffee, cookies and lemonade afterwards. And so this is kind of like our lobby area here where lots of connection happens after, after church. It's a really cool space. Where do you stand? Where do you preach from? Where do people yeah. sit? How do people yeah. sit? Yeah, so right down in this area uh, on the cement, this is kind of like our stage area. And so this is where the worship team sets up. The worship leaders lead worship from this space. Whoever's given the message actually preaches out to the congregation. So Aaron, Peace Church has had a call and a vision to multiply for a long time. Right. We talk about the need here. Is Wayland a grown community? Why, why did we plant Wayland? 
Yeah, well, absolutely. Wayland is a growing community. We have new construction going up all over the place, businesses coming in. But then there's also a family-focused sense of Wayland itself. It just meshes so well with our core value. So to have a, a church come alongside families who are really looking for that family-focused um, church is really important. Yeah. The launch is now, what, five, five six weeks in? Yeah. And, and we're already having over 250 people coming yeah. every single week. It's been a little bit more than that, right? About yeah. 270, yeah, which is has. amazing. Uh, awesome. For a church plant, only five, six weeks in the mix, God's obviously doing something awesome. Absolutely. So as we said, family focus is a big deal for us. Um, so where, where do the kids go? Yeah, I'll show you. Sweet. So kids are in here. Yes. So on Sunday, we, we actually decked this place out with, with toys and carpets and um, small kid tables to be able to do crafts at, all of that kind of thing. We worship together, we have a large group teaching, and then we actually break off into separate smaller groups, discuss the teaching and, and that kind of thing. And so, so let's go back inside and uh, talk a little bit more about the ministry and what's absolutely. going on here. So, so when we talked about the vision for, for Planton and Wayland, Around 140 people from our Middleville campus signed up to come and be a part of like the seedbed congregation to help get this going. Right. This Wayland campus is having almost double that amount of people come each we Sunday, yep. which is amazing. So the question I kind of have is, what makes up yeah. this other segment of people? Yeah, well, I think we're across the board. There are Christians who were kind of displaced and kind of left out in, in the cold, not really knowing what to do or where to go next. And they've, they've really found a home here um, and then we've had people who, who have been running from God hard that uh, just our presence and showing up gave them that moment to ask, is this God reaching out to me? Mm. And so they're here as well. And so we have everybody across the spectrum that this church is reaching. That's awesome. So Aaron, this is an awesome place. God really delivered for us in letting us use this space, which is really cool. We know that uh, what we want to see happen in Wayland is we want to take some of the DNA at the Middleville Caledonia campus, see it transplanted here, talking about being gospel-centered, family-focused, and kingdom-minded. Yeah. So just as we close up, what's something from your heart, something you're really excited about with what God is doing here at the Whaling Campus? Well, we just announced that we'll be moving to two services wow. come November 12th. Wow. And it's incredible to see all that God has done and the people that he has just sent. And so we want to make sure as we ask people of Peace Church Wayland to be kingdom-minded and to invite people, we need to do our due diligence and make sure we're providing the space necessary. Yeah. You know something about uh, <laughs> struggling with space, yeah, right? Yeah, we know a little um, bit about that. And so for us, that step is moving to two services awesome. come November 12th. We want to be a kingdom-minded church. We want to be beyond the walls of our church and even beyond the boundaries of our community. We want to plant in Wayland. We want to plant beyond. We want to see God's work continue. And so this is a real-life demonstration of Peace Church being kingdom-minded. It's why we're going through Proclaim. It's why we're planting in Wayland. It's part of who we are. It's something we want to see God continue to do. Absolutely. That's yeah, awesome. It is truly amazing what's happening over there. God is doing something wonderful. All glory to him. Church, he is uh, using us to do amazing things. Again, it's, it's all him, but we get to be a part of what he's doing. And I just want to sh share with you that God used our financial investments and us and our willingness to invest in the community outside of our own to see something amazing happen. 
with, with already being five or six weeks in and having the attendance be what it is, it just showed us again how desperately Wayland needs the gospel. And that reminds us that there's communities all over the place that need the gospel. This is why we want to continue to get stronger as a church so we can see more of this continue to happen. Church, let me remind you, the Great Commission is God's great call. And so I'm going to call on this church, the church family, to make a great contribution to proclaim. My wife and I are doing that. We're asking everyone who calls Peace Church home to get, make a great contribution so that we can see the Great Commission continue. And so let me leave you with a spiritual and financial challenge for you to consider this week as you pray over the gift God's calling you to give. Here it is. Are we ready to realize all of our money actually belongs to the king and therefore it should be honoring to him firstly? Listen, if Jesus is the king over the galaxies, if he's over the lilies of the field, then you best believe he's also over your finances. That we can actually trust him because they're actually his. And now God is doing something amazing in this church, something very wonderful. And I believe with all my heart, even though we have a great history, I believe our best days are ahead of us. And I do believe some of our most effective days for kingdom work are right before us if we just have the passion and will and heart to give to see that happen. We do this for God. We do this for the church. We do this for our neighbor. And we do this for the world. Because the world needs Jesus. And it needs Christians stepping up and giving and sharing the gospel and being faithful. And so we want to show the world how amazing our king is through the gospel. And another way we get to do that, get to do that is by showing the world how amazing our king is through our worship. So would you please stand and let's prepare our hearts to worship. Church, I'm going to ask you to raise one hand in the air as a sign that you're going to be praying this with me. Father, we come before you asking, God, that you fill this place with the knowledge and power of your presence through the truth of your word as we respond to the gospel message. Father, we're not responding to emotion. We're responding to truth right now that Jesus died in our place for our sins. So, Father, give us the spirit to respond and worship to that truth so that the world, when they look at us, they would say, there's a people who believe what they say. So, Father, be with us now as we worship you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen.